0: dad brought home some Fiat when I was like eight or something with a froze up engine and, and said, Hey, if you can fix it, you can have it. And, um, I, I took the heads off and pounded the pistons off and out and it was totally gone. I remember, and, uh, I, I just put the battery in it and I just turned the key and we had a circle driveway. I just turned, put it in first gear and turned the key.
1: (laughs) Run the the starter, run the starter,
0: push it around (laughs) the first Damn,
2: You were doing this at eight years old
0: yeah i was at eight ten somewhere in there yeah super young and and yeah That's i was cool. i was totally totally a motorhead great starter
1: gear and flex plate on that thing yeah <laughs> just yeah.
0: gone running <laughs> yeah and then i just put the battery on the charger and do it again the next day and <laughs>
2: Welcome to oil and whiskey and ironclad original I am Josh Henning. I'm Phil Gerber I'm
1: Jeremy Gerber
2: welcome to oil and whiskey and ironclad original today's guest is vice president of marketing at Columbia River knife and tool also known as CRKT Doug Flagg is gonna join us Doug Flagg is the vice president of marketing and innovation at CRKT Doug leads product development and marketing strategy Through his nearly three decades in the knife industry, Doug helped define what the modern knife world is today. He brought to market industry-defining innovations and products, including the best-selling CRKT Provoke with kinematic technology and the popular CEO family of knives. Prior to joining CRKT, he led sales and marketing at Kershaw Knives, where he collaborated with Ken Onion to manufacture Ken's SpeedSafe-assisted opening mechanism, a groundbreaking innovation at the time. As a lifelong Jeep guy and outdoorsman, on weekends you'll find Doug rebuilding for the third time his 66 CJ5, chasing elk with a traditional bow or yarding in sturgeon on the Willamette River. Gentlemen, how are you? Doug Flagg, welcome to Oil and Whiskey.
0: Thank you. I actually poured myself one too.
2: Cheers, man. Perfect. Cheers. You're one of the Cheers. few that comes prepared, ready to go. Yeah, you would think with the name oil and whiskey, more people would understand it's time to drink. But they usually get on here and be like, "Oh, so can we drink? We can do. We can do whiskey. You
1: can do whatever you want. Sure can. Anything.
0: It's awesome because it's three o'clock for me, and I just got done with a board meeting. So (laughs) that is is perfect timing. (laughs) I'm ready.
2: Awesome. It looks like you're in the shop, man. It's a great background.
0: so, yeah, this is my garage. I, I was going to do it in my office, but it's kind of corporate looking, you know, and sure. I got a bunch of graphs and boring stuff on there. So I figured, you know what? Why not come home, have a glass of whiskey, do it in my garage, and I feel more comfortable here anyways. Well, after reading so, this
2: little intro and the things that you've done and been a part of, I would assume that, yeah, the board boardroom is probably just
0: not the place you want to be. <laughs> yeah, I try to avoid it, but once a quarter, I got to do it.
1: Yeah, Josh read through... Uh you know kind of all your accolades and a little bit about you and where you've been and it it kind of sounds like he was introducing John Rambo. So, so <laughs> yeah. we're very we're very excited to chat with you. Man. It sounds like you've had a a very interesting career. You're into a lot of neat stuff.
0: Yeah, you know, um going from the whiskey business to, or actually selling auto parts, you know, wiring terminals, then going to the whiskey business, and then to knives. It's just like, wow, you know, and my wife's a first-grade teacher and she's like when are you going to get a job where I can tell my kids what you do?
1: You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dad plays with whiskey and knives. Stuff. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, what yeah, it's been it's been great. What yeah.
2: company were you selling auto parts for?
0: It was a little company out of Eugene, Oregon called Pico Pacific Industrial Components. We we bought wire and terminal in bulk and then put it in little packages and went around to all the auto parts stores and set up displays and sold them wire and terminals.
2: So where did the whiskey thing come from?
0: Well, that was, that was funny. Cause I, I got out of college and, and I saw an ad back when there were classified ads and newspapers and, and I saw this ad for Kershaw knives and looking for a sales and marketing manager. And I had no idea what I was doing. I went in there and, and, uh, I, um, Oh no, I'm sorry. The whiskey came before that. I got out of college and, and applied to a job in the classifieds for, um, for, um, uh, uh, market sales, marketing manager for Potter Distilleries, which was a company out of uh, Canada, and they had a, a rectifier—I guess they call it. Uh, can you say that? That's <laughs> is, yeah, you can. That's... <laughs> and uh, we bought whiskey in bulk, and vodka, and gin, and tequila, and everything, and we'd we'd stick it in the in the bottle and slap a label on it, and and send it out the door. So it was really the the bottom shelf stuff. I mean, we we sold vodka by the. I mean, thirty thousand cases a month was was not uncommon of of low end vodka. And eventually, I I started moving up, trying to move up brand, because Potter's actually is a distiller up in Canada for the rye, and uh, they actually had some decent decent rye. I here's my last project was a seventeen year old rye called CEO. You, you can't even get it anymore, but um, um, yeah, that's some really good stuff, and booze was just such a marketer's dream because it's all marketing I mean you know guys after yes. five sips your taste buds are dead anyways <laughs> right.
2: well that's so, where I was gonna ask you on the if you're selling the bottom-shelf vodka stuff and you're moving that type of, of volume I mean are you you're selling on price point I mean how are you marketing
0: it's that? all price it's all price you know the a controlled state where the state controls the liquor and and they you submit your prices and every store is the same price they had, at that time they had 235 stores and every store would have the same price on potters and you'd submit your pricing once a quarter and if i could get a nickel below my competition um we'd sell 10,000 more bottles it was just wow. that important it was crazy yeah are these this is like uh, pl-
1: plastic bottles i mean is this like oh yeah how low end are we talking here
0: We're talking low. We're talking low. Low of (laughs) low. It's the, you know, at that time was the well vodka. I'm talking, you know, this is 30 years ago. I have no idea what they're doing nowadays. But um, yeah, it was the, it was the well vodka that every restaurant bought and put in your, you know, vodka tonic and and unless you ask for an upgrade, that's what you got. And you know, and it's funny because you guys probably know this, but vodka by law has to be odorless and tasteless. So there's really no difference between, at that time, a potter's or a Smirnoff. Mm-hmm. There's only, it's coming from two sources, and they were, um, um, they made, um, I don't know, there were two two sources where we bought the uh, distilled spirits, the natural distilled spirits, and then added the water. So the only difference between like a Smirnoff Gordon's or a potter's was, was the water. And out here in in Oregon, we had, you know, we got some of the cleanest water there is. And so all these people that are paying a ton of money for fancy vodkas were just wasting money, you know, which was funny. Now, the imported laws for vodka are different. So, you know, the Stoli and the Absolute and stuff like that is, is, can be a little bit different. But... uh the domestic vodkas are all the same. It's just a, <laughs> so, it's just marketing.
1: So that still stands true for like a Tito's or some of those brands that have become so big it's I guess. Yeah,
0: it depends huh. depends if they're imported or not. Um if they're domestic, they by law have to be the same. Yeah, they I you mean know, it's, it's just just the water.
1: It's all over the right there in Texas, right? It's yeah. Distilled, created, modeled yeah. in Texas. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I never knew
0: that. Yeah, because vodka there's really no aging or anything else like that. You just take natural grain spirits and mix it with some water and put it in a bottle, slap a label on and where you go.
2: Hmm. I had to be so. uh I'm I'm interested to get into the more of the story, but I'm I'm wondering how much sales and marketing in an air quotes at that level, you know like you said trying to hit a price point trying to get that nickel to get the shelf space or whatever it is with the controlled state plays into your skill set later on down the road because i would have to assume that it's way harder to to get excited or to or to do anything creative in that type of environment than it is with if you were just thrust into some luxury name brand that he had a following and then you kind of were continuing the same old same old whatever but i mean Working with a controlled state and and doing that—that's—it's not exactly yeah, yeah. glamorous from a marketing no, standpoint. No, it
0: wasn't. It wasn't glamorous, but you know, oops, I made the best of it. Let me get my light. Um, I made the best of it. Like we had a we had a Kahlua knockoff that was you know clue at that time was thirty bucks a bottle somewhere like that, and ours was nine ninety nine. And blind taste tests we do, ours came out scored. People couldn't tell the difference. I mean, it was that good. But we didn't sell hardly any so i I marked it up to like 25 bucks to see what would happen And we sold more because <laughs> the perceived value
1: <laughs> it is funny how that works it happens you know?
2: that way on the alcohol all the time yeah. we, we've talked about it on this podcast a bunch of times you go in there and sometimes you just feel that you want to try something new there's so much crazy stuff coming in all the time right and you want to take a gamble but it's difficult to gamble on a you know $32 bottle you know versus being like oh man it says four years and you know it's 90 bucks and whatever it might be pretty good it's a cool bottle great label you know and you're going to give it a shot and like are you, i mean it just reaffirms like you said and all they're doing is making it cost more because they know people are going to do that
0: yeah it's 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 funny it's human human nature i guess but um yeah so i learned a lot there i mean it's so much of uh liquor is marketing stuff. I mean there's there is a difference. I mean I don't know what you guys are drinking now, but you know, from the shows I've listened to, you guys you guys drink nothing but the best.
2: This one's a new one for us. The Jefferson's Ocean, but it's the weeded mash bill.
0: But you want to
1: talk about marketing. I mean this is a yeah absolute this is marketing magic here. So Jefferson's ocean, they call it Ocean Aged at sea and right there on the bottle itself, there's a little ship. Well, not a little ship. It's a big ship. A big so ship. the the way they sell it, which, interestingly enough, we met the actual dude who owns the ship or knows the dude who owns the ship. They put the barrels on a ship, and then the barrels live on the ship for quite some time. This I one's mean,
2: got the whole voyage on the yeah. back of it, and it tells exactly how long it was. And the
1: idea is, you know that the barrels are constantly move the whiskeys constantly moving around in the barrels because of the sea and you know it, it ages and the humidity and the temperature and all that's supposed to be conducive to making it delicious which it's fantastic whether that just happens to be the mash or it actually has anything to do with it being in a boat who knows but (laughs) great great marketing play right that's
0: that's yeah that's incredible marketing yeah you know and 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 that's what it took and it started you know 30 years ago i mean absolute i think vodka was the first one to kind of put it in that cool bottle the rest of us were just putting it in the regular fifth bottle you know and absolute came in and put in that cool bottle and then they had ads that were just i remember it's just like one word you know and they'd show the bottle and uh yeah it was genius too you know it's it's it's
1: crazy marketing is wild i mean you look at uh what is the death the uh, the water death water yeah De- oh, what's the name death. of it death proof death no damn it why what is but it? they didn't do that good of marketing because i can't remember it now death wish. um oh man murder.
0: oh yeah, it's. Um- my, yeah, my son uh, drinks. Liquid death. Yes, liquid, liquid death. death.
1: So that's water. Yeah, it's water. Yeah, it's literally water. You can get it out of the faucet. You can get it anywhere, yeah. and they put <laughs> it in a can. But and it looks like it. you
2: might be drinking something kind of cool, maybe alcoholic.
1: Exactly, and that is, I mean, water's cra- just to think of all the different well, the different ways they've branded them. the different receptacles they've put them in, and that dude. I mean, I think it tastes like a can to myself a little bit, but. It doesn't matter that when that guy's on his jet oh yeah. he doesn't care if you think it tastes like I it know. Can. you know he did pretty well with that
0: there's really a funny funny story talking about water so i'm at potter's and, and we have all the bottling equipment we have three lines that we can we can bottle you know you know fifty thousand cases a, a month of of whatever and we're all sitting there and sales are going like this we're sucking and you know losing money and we're kind of sitting around the break room at, we May have been drinking or not, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but we're sitting there, and one one of the guys goes, "Hey, you know, we should bottle water," and we all laughed our asses off at him. I mean, this was in you know 1985, and we're we're laughing or 1988, and we're laughing at him. Who would buy water out of a bottle? Yeah. And uh, God, if we're, look back at that. If we'd done that, I'd, well, I wouldn't be here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's wild.
1: Yeah, marketing is just. It's all about the perceived. So how long were you right?
2: doing the potter's deal?
0: I did that for four years and they, they got bought out. I think they were bought out three times in the four years I was there. And then they finally shut down the, the Portland operation and moved it to San Jose and they wanted me to move to San Jose. And I said, nah, I'll, I'll not going to do that.
2: So you back to the classifieds in the paper.
0: Back to classifieds. Yeah. Yeah. Found Then I found uh, the job for Kershaw and, uh, went in and and I, I think I actually took one of these to uh, Pete Kershaw and he sat there interviewing me and and I put one of these on his desk little day I know he was he was a big ride lover and, and uh, popped it open and started drinking and the next thing I know I had the job <laughs> man
1: fantastic that that worked out look how well. things work out yeah <laughs>
0: yeah it was the best interview because i i think i said three words the whole thing i mean it was just he, he's he's a talker and started talking about all the whiskey he likes and yeah it was great
2: it, what yeah. i apologize but it's a little bit before my time on kershaw itself so yeah. where is kershaw at in in the market at that point in time
0: so at that point in time um that was 1994 pete started in 1974. And he actually um, sold to the Kai, the the current owners now, in 1977. But he ran the company, um, you know, like he owned it. And um, so he started in 74. At that time in 94, um, Kershaw was small. I think we had 15 people. Uh, Snap-on was 90% of our business. Or 95% of our business. It was just a huge part of the business. The designs had gotten tired. Um, everything was made in Japan, and the um, uh, Japanese yen was going uh, going crazy on value, and our prices were going up 30% a year, and it was struggling. It was really struggling, and uh, I, I started, and, and uh, I think I was there six months, and. I'm looking at this, going, holy crap! What do we do? And I sit down with Pete, and, and I said, "We got to find another source, man. We can't, we can't go to, we, we can't buy knives from Japan. It's too expensive, and and it's just not working." So we, Pete and I, hop on a plane. We go to the headquarters of Kai in Tokyo, and and uh, present a whole plan to manufacture in the U.S. and being the best option. And at the end of the presentation, the, the owner goes, "Okay," and I'm like, "Okay, what does that mean?" It means okay go do it. <laughs> like, I think my plan, I, I think I said it cost him a million bucks. I think it totally ended up costing 2 million bucks to start a factory. But, you know, even today, Kershaw still, I don't know where they're at now. But when I left, they were like 75% USA made stuff. That's pretty cool. So it was a really cool story. And it was a learning experience to start manufacturing from scratch. I mean, we had zero machines and we, 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 we got the money and started buying machines and hiring pe- the right people and it was it was a ride it was it was crazy
1: yeah i remember one of my first pocket knives in, after the swiss army knife which is you know, that's, Everybody, like, that was that's a right that's for, like a rite of passage right? right but i think my dad got me a, a kershaw and because i was doing a lot of fishing back then that had to be like 89 or 90. Really? And i think it was like a brick it was like a you know like a cassette tape or just this massive <laughs> chunk. Came in a little velcro case. It was ribbed up. Probably on the a lockback. Yeah. Lock- was it a
0: lockback? Yeah. Yeah. That was the model ten fifty uh, folding hunter, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They had it. Bra- uh, brass bolsters and phenolic handle Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Gorgeous. That, it was it was a beast. But gorgeous s- but a brick.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: To see where they've come. I mean, from that to then when they came out with the like the Ken Onion, the assisted yeah. openers that made such a cool sound when you open them that had to be a game changer were you a part of that
0: i was absolutely a part of that so yeah so we started the manufacturing and uh, we were struggling frankly i mean we were making uh some of the designs that were designed in japan and we we're making those and they weren't really going that great And we were struggling to make them because we were new to manufacturing and i heard about this guy in hawaii who had this invention that that assisted the knife and helped open it and i was like Nah. What is this? You know, so I had an excuse to go to Hawaii, so my wife and I flew to Hawaii, and uh, I met with Ken Onion, and we pull up to his pull up to his house, and he's he's just has a regular you know suburban house, and the garage doors open. And he walks out, and he's got a leather apron on and boxers, and that's it. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that's an image yes. in Hawaii. <laughs> you talking about? Just get- tattoos everywhere and i'm just going holy crap what am i what is going on here you know so i uh so we meet with him and he won't show me the mechanism but he lets me play with the knife and you just you start the blade open and it just pops and i'm like holy shit this is this is money this is this is we got to do this you know and uh ken ken developed that because he was making switchblades there in hawaii and he got a knock on the door one day and a uh, no, law enforcement came and started giving them bad time for, it you know they're illegal in, in uh, Hawaii giving them bad time. So Ken's the guy of guy if you tell him no he's gonna he's gonna do it anyways and and uh, you guys should get him on. he's awesome. Um, he investigate he he investigated the, the federal laws and all the state laws and what defined a switchblade. And what he found out was the switchblade is defined by law, a button in the handle. Well, Ken did not put a button in the handle. He had the, the thumb stud on the blade or the flipper. Yeah. And so you started over and, and it all came from like, you know, going over center on a cam and it goes over center and that blade pops open. It did not fit the description, the legal description of a switchblade. So we signed a deal and uh, I mean, it took a little while. I mean, he he had, Gerber was courting them and, and uh, some other companies and stuff. But uh, we just hit it off our kids were the same age, we're the same age, we went out to some luau got drank way too many Mai Tais, And, <laughs> and we just had a good time. And, and it, you know, and what I told Ken at Kershaw, you know, I, I, what I told Ken was at Kershaw, you're going to be part of the team, you know, we're not that big. And, and what you do is going to have an impact, you know, or Gerber's such a bigger company, you're just going to be another, another guy so he went with us and and uh um kershaw had never done a collaboration with a custom knife guy or anybody like that and and uh convinced the japanese and Pete kershaw to do it and and we'd start doing it and it was rough at first i mean we you know first knives were the random task i don't know if you guys ever saw one of those they're freaking awesome if you ever see one it, <laughs> And uh, random task and mini task yeah. were the first assisted openers, and then uh, we moved into whirlwinds and blackouts. And then, then what really people are cutting the shit out of themselves because of the thumb stud, and they're so used to following the thumb all the way to open the blade that they were doing that. The blade was already open, and then they'd follow it and, and just fillet their thumb. Oof. So we even put little training wheel covers on the blade so they wouldn't wouldn't cut themselves. And <laughs> um it, it started really selling but the trick was when he came out with the the leak and you hit the flipper on the back of the game changer handle, yeah that game changer yep. it just it went from here to off the charts man that was just it was unbelievable um, that, we just we couldn't make them fast enough
1: that night the sound it made was like the switchblade sound in a movie
0: like what they yeah. wanted a switchblade
1: yeah. to sound like that thing sounds right. so cool yeah his mechanism
0: his mechanism is uh is public domain now so here at crkt we're doing it so i don't know if you can hear that but that's that same mechanism yeah
1: yeah i mean the crkt stuff it's on the flipper side that was the very first thing i noticed when i got that ceo knife was like holy shit, this thing functions great action phenomenal
0: and that's that's doesn't have a spring either right you know it's just you know you it uh industry evolved we we put bearings in there now and and you, you don't need the spring i'd still love the spring i mean it's there's nothing like it it just, it opens up every time and makes that nice noise you know so it, it's great but yeah so ken ken really turned kershaw around i mean his his designs were you know the, the chive the leak the the scallion i mean just go on we, we ran on your names uh, <laughs> you gal named Shawnee's the one named them all, and she she deserves huge credit because those those names are awesome. It's kind of like Apple at that time. You know, Apple was you know computers were you know people Mac would get uptight right. about computers. You name an Apple, nobody's offended by an Apple. Well, nobody's offended by a chive or a leak or a scallion, right? You know, and it really helped to to broaden the market and and it changed the whole industry. Um, Speedsafe assisted opening was a, a, a industry changer and and i mean everybody tried to copy it and everybody tried to do it and nobody nobody could come up with a better mechanism and it's now the industry standard on assisted opening
2: what kind of things were you doing back in that day because um, you had you know traditional knife guys you had guys that needed a knife and you had guys that were into knives you know and you had collectors of you know buck or case or stuff like that whatever but the 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 marketplace wasn't what it is in in the last 15 years where everyday carry became so mainstream across all walks of life any profession it's it's more of a hobby to collect things that you say you're carrying every day which let's all be honest at the most at the end of the day nobody's really every day carrying that big pile of things that they take pictures at EDC right
1: back then it was like Grandpa would pull it out to, to carve yeah. some little wood figurines. That's, Grandpa that's, had That's it. why you had a knife in your, and it you, was an old timer. Your uncle that yeah. came over yeah. for
2: Thanksgiving that, you know, cussed a lot, he'd have one, you know. And But the, you know, from my son and, and your son as well, I mean, if they're my son's 16 now, but, I mean, even at 12 years old, he was, like, wanting to collect knives, and he was looking at all, the, you know, the hot stuff that was out there. So really the last 15 years, probably 20 years, but probably say 15 years. It became fashionable. It became a thing. But in that time, what were you doing to try to get it mainstream or to get it in front of new knife owners?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, really, I mean, the 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 business built from the, the Snap-on tool group. I mean, those guys, those guys sold knives to technicians and car guys every day. And I mean, that became the they became the voice, and they're the ones where it kind of spread out, and it was huge. It was huge for for Kershaw. It was huge for Ken. It's you know huge for us. And you know those they use a knife every day. A lot of those guys, and and uh, that's where kind of EDC kind of evolved from, I think. And then and then it just kind of spread out. And but uh, yeah, it was a totally different world then. You didn't have the EDC crowd that you have now.
1: Was there just such a great profit margin built into them? Or how did they stay afloat with all the warranties being that they're selling them through Snap-on and every technician takes that thing out and uses it as a pry bar. And it's oh great that they, w- they warrantied the blades, right? So you could go and you put 10, 15 blades on the damn thing. But you, know, you wedge that sucker in something and lean on it. I mean, I don't care what it's made out of. If it's kryptonite, you're going to crack it.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, it's that's still a problem today. Is <laughs> is the warranty? <laughs> right. Those guys are brutal. I mean, they don't sharpen knives; they just break the blades in a vice, You know, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no questions. <laughs> Sorry, asked, snap on right? guys.
0: I, you know, I know all you guys don't do that, but I mean, right. there's enough of you guys that, that we see enough returns on that. Yeah, it is a problem. And and yeah, it goes beyond that. I mean guys are buying knives at other places, you know, they buy it at Cabela's and they turn it into their snap on guy because they know they'll get a replacement. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um yeah, you just you just I mean it's built into the price for sure. Um and then you just kind of rely on volume that you keep selling more than you, if you ever go out of business, your warranty's gonna pass your sales yeah. <laughs> at some <laughs> <makes> point. <laughs> yeah Yeah. so yeah it's a it's built in um, to the cost but it's we don't like it I mean we could all the knife companies could reduce their prices if we didn't have that warranty problem of abuse you know warranties weren't exactly yeah we yeah if you know there can be inclusions in the blade steel that you can't see we can't see when the blade is ground or anything I mean it's they're just buried in the in the steel and and blades will blades will break I mean it just it happens Uh, Yeah, but but it's nothing
2: to do with the quality of any of the products. It's a a culture with, you know, Snap on and your tool guys that it's the people, the guys that have been buying forever and their dads bought and stuff like that. It's the culture of it, you might pay an arm and a leg for the truck guy, but it doesn't matter. You can break it, lose it, whatever, turn in a craftsman socket and you're going to get a socket. But like, that's just that mentality of once you start buying with your tool guy, he's going to, he'll fix your washing machine if it breaks. You know, like that's their mentality of. And that's Yeah, it. I get it, but it's like you said on the suppliers, it's tough. That's tough.
0: Yeah, it, it's brutal. How long were you at at uh, Kershaw? Ten years. Ten years, and uh, you know, it's really funny because the knife industry is just—I mean, Pete Gerber really started it in Portland area. And, right, my uncle. And, right? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, really? No, I wish. No, I know you no. got the Gerber name. Or is yeah. there any relation? No,
1: unfortunately not. No. <laughs> But it sounded, yeah, so sounded cool it <laughs> did sound yeah, you know old uncle pete
0: yeah so so really i think pete gerber started like in the 50s and he was an ad advertising agency and he went to japan on some visit or something and saw super cool kitchen knives and he bought some for his best customers he bought them and brought them over and the customers say we want more we want more and then so then he just started making some kitchen knives for his clients and then realized he could make pocket knives and pretty soon he's not doing advertising anymore. He's 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 a knife business, and uh, then they got bought out by um, Fiskars, you know, the orange handle scissor people. Years ago, I don't even remember how long. And but uh, Pete Kershaw was the sales manager for Pete Gerber, and so Pete Gerber, I mean Pete Kershaw, saw an opportunity to make um, better knives, and he left Pete Gerber to start Kershaw knives. Well, Rod Bremer, the owner of CRKT, was the sales manager for Pete Kershaw, and when he saw an opportunity to make knives in Taiwan versus versus um, um, in Japan, and left Kershaw, and, and that's who I replaced and started CRKT. And that's crazy. And so. We end up. Portland ends up. I think we have nine knife companies now. Benchmade moved up from California because Lustyouses got busted for switchblades down there, and they're legal up here in Oregon. <laughs> um, Leatherman. Tim Leatherman just happened to live here and born here, and, and he's here. And we got uh, so we got Gerber, Kershaw, Benchmade, CRKT. There's a Coast Cutlery. There's a, a William and Henry is out in, yeah. uh, in uh, McMinnville. They're they're out of town here a little bit. They moved up from California just because it's easier to do business up here. Um I don't know. There's there might be that's oh, nice. there's James Brand. James Brand. Oh, is James here. Brand, yeah. That's yeah, not, that, yeah. that's wild, man. It's like El
1: card Indiana for trailers, you know? Yeah, exactly. Everything's being built there, but that that's wild. And especially how do you get a guy with the last name Leatherman? And then yeah. you go on to do that? I mean, damn. Yeah. Actually, my last name should have been like Hot Rod. Imagine, <laughs> no?
0: hear mm. me hot a no. little weird <laughs> <No, yeah. laughs> leatherman's cool though yeah
1: it's fucking badass
0: yeah yeah that's a cool right. name i like your i watched your one show where you guys were talking about colt wrangler yeah <laughs> that's, right. a, that's a cool yeah. name that's <laughs> the best that? name the best <laughs> name yeah uh so you
2: uh it just timing was right to make the move from kershaw or just uh
0: yeah, Rod's Rod's partner uh retired and and Rod called me up and said, Hey Doug, you know, and I know you've been doing the job over there at Kershaw, I need help. Um and you know, Kershaw was great. I mean, I learned everything and stuff, but they were still Japanese owned and you know, hard to work for because you know, if you stand out you kind of get pumped down. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I like to go to work for an American and Good guy, and I knew Rod through all the years. We, you know, seen him at all the shows and talked to him and all all that stuff. So, yeah, I came over and and uh, been here 19 years since.
1: Oh,
2: that's awesome!
0: What's yours? 30 years doing knives, and I still screw up. I can't believe it. (laughs) What's
2: your first project? You come to CRKT.
0: What's the first thing they throw you into? Oh my god! Oh, we had the we had the the. This one goes on our hall of shame. We had the Merlin; it was a way to carry anything. <laughs> Rod showing this to me, I go, "No, I don't want to do this project." But, but that was more of a, a sheath thing. As far as knives go, um, let's see. We started uh, working with Alan Elishewitz. We had like um, I think at that time it was called Anubis. Super cool button lock made um, in Taiwan. Awesome, awesome action and everything. Did that one. Did um, some Ed Van Hoy projects with the uh, snap fires and um, oh, the crazy one, the Uh-oh. snap lock. Mm-hmm. And Ed Halligan with the the KISS knife. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw, it. that's really what got CRKT started was the KISS knife that had one blade on one, had the blade on one side, just one side of the handle. And um, they'd come out with that in 98. And that's really the knife that put them on the map. The KISS was knife. Was the uh, KISS knife, yeah.
1: Yeah, we need a guy that's like a, like Rogan has so you could be like, hey, Jamie, pull up that uh, I know. kiss knife. I'm just, I'm hey, that ja- guy. Hey, Josh. I'm just... <laughs> pull back, I should have brought one. I should have.
0: I got other samples. Um, yeah, can you see the kiss? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, that knife just. It's cool. Uh, I remember being at Kershaw at that going, holy shit, how'd they do that? You know, I mean, that's, that's crazy. And, uh. So, so we did some variations of that, those projects. And then, um, of course, the M16 is the next knife that came in after the KISS knife that defined CRKT. And uh, you guys have all seen, uh, I'm sure the M16, I got one here, Here's the, this is the deadbolt version.
2: Oh, uh, hold on a second, let me get back to you. There we yeah. go.
1: I pulled that up again. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Got, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah. So, and that's, that's been, I mean, Rod supported the, the troops. I mean, probably sent half a million units down to Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, to, um, on the desert storm and all those. So all the soldiers that came back, you know, came back with their M 16 and, and they've been selling ever since. I mean, it's just a simple knife designed by Kit Carson, um, yeah i mean there's just there's nothing not to like about it you know there's no nothing wrong with it it's just yeah, it's works
2: just, right at that yeah. point when you come where is the brand at at that point is that a price point deal is that another we're getting spots on the tool trucks is that i mean it's it's, yeah, it's we, newer so we,
0: yeah we were you know Rod did Rod really start the business on value you know coming out with um you know his whole concept. He's not a knife. He's not a designer. He's not a, a knife maker. He's a he's a like he says he's a knife peddler, and uh, he didn't know how to design knives or anything. So what he did different was he went to the custom knife makers like like Kit, uh, Kit Carson and Ed Halligan and Russ Comer and all these guys, and he licensed their designs and took them to market at a price that you know everybody could afford. So. You take, um, oh, you, you take like a Ken Onion custom knife. I mean, you're going to pay, if you can even get one, which you probably can't, you know, five, $10,000 for. Well, CRKT takes that design. Here's one of Ken's original, I mean, this this is one of his early designs. We take this knife and we reverse engineer it and we, you know, we'd sell for 100 to 150 bucks. And so Ken would get a royalty the knife user would get an awesome design and we'd, we'd get the sales and all that. So it was a business model that just, Rod was really the pioneer on that. Now everybody's doing it, you know, we, Civivi, right. uh, Boker, right. um, everybody does it now because you can tell when a knife is made by a, a knife maker versus, you know, somebody sitting behind a computer just doing it on CAD, I mean, Ken, Ken looks at every angle, every, every part of this is thought out and I mean, it's just like building hot rods. I right. mean, it's just, you can tell the difference between a designer and an actual maker. And, and, you know, the, the companies realize that having engineers just sitting behind a, a, a CAD cab program, isn't going to give them the continue. designs they need. Yeah. Let me ask you so, how
2: that, uh, those initial conversations with those artists, um. I would assume that they can go one of two ways and are they i could just see I, guys I, I that see would be like that. okay that's fine you're gonna pay me royalties and stuff like that but are is it generally after you talk to them and explain to them that you can get it or is it a 50 50 shot or does everybody like are, are they honored to be asked or their guys that be like nope i'd rather i'd rather keep my my name brand and not diluted I don't want a guy having a $150 Ken onion knife I want him to have a $10,000 the 20 of them a year it, that I'm gonna it, do
1: it, it's it's probably like looking at like a Yoder power hammer versus a Bailey power hammer right it's got soul like we're not we can't reproduce it it's got soul right but then when you reproduce it it actually usually works a little bit better it's and better it, and more people and to it, use it appeals, them it appeals yeah exactly to the masses right, right.
0: Yeah, you know, most guys are, are happy. You know, knife makers are not making a lot of money. You know, most of them, there's about, you know, five guys in the whole industry who, who actually <laughs> make some decent money. But, you know, so they're happy when when we approach them. A lot of times they approach us on, hey, can we do a collaboration and, and work together and, and do this? Um, you know, there's a few guys. Uh, we just signed uh, Michael Walker, who who is the premier knife maker in the world I mean his knives sell for over $100,000 he makes three a year and he is just his stuff is just off the charts I mean it's it's so freaking cool Um, you know the materials he uses uh, are just off the charts and stuff so he was you know we worked with him early and then there was a span of the time where he just stuck to his custom stuff and now we just started working with him again um, just launched one of his his knives now it's got uh um, mother of pearl pivot you know carbon fiber uh wow that damn damn steel blade i mean just just we didn't we didn't
2: get one of those in that yeah. show you didn't get one of those and, and, no
1: he didn't and i'm a sucker for mother of pearl, i know man. I, I know you man, are man do i like mother man i'm
0: gonna tell kyle <laughs> quit being so damn cheap <laughs> that's you know, cr- with this that this design good. for michael walker would be a hundred thousand dollars from us it's you know 400 bucks 500 bucks you know so what, that's cool what,
1: out of curiosity number first of all who buys what what's the clientele on a knife like that because that's that, it's so specific
0: for, it can, for a hundred thousand yeah, dollar knife yes yeah yeah it's art it's art it's an art collector hmm. it's just art that so actually you don't carry that
1: around and like Occasionally, cut a box open with. I, I would not think is... a guy that's spending
2: a hundred grand needs to ever cut a box. He's got
1: people that cut boxes yeah. for him. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got it. All right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know, that's man. Cool. It's, um, you know, it's it's a mystery to me. But there's enough of them out there that you know, guys like Michael Walker. I mean, he he makes a living and
2: uh, doing well, it. Especially yeah. like well, especially like he said, great. the the fact that he does three a year. There's those guys yeah. that run in those circles. They got the money. The fact that he only does three a year is why somebody would pay a hundred thousand because the chances are that his other buddies that he's always trying to outdo, won't be able to get one. Right. So he will be the King sure. for that year yeah. until somebody else finds something else rare that that guy that can't get.
0: Yep. Yeah. In the case you didn't know, Michael Walker's the inventor of the liner lock. Oh wow! <laughs> the, the lock that the lock that's on every freaking knife that you oh, you wow. have probably so, in your pocket now. So,
1: so he can take his time and build three knives at year. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah. everything's wow. good for the inventor for him. of the liner lock.
0: Wow, wow. So yeah. is, is that that's patented? Obviously, no, he oh. didn't. He didn't oh. patent it. He didn't patent it.
1: Oof. <laughs> Man, that, that that one hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, he, he uh
0: yeah, he didn't patent it, unfortunately. I'm, I'm seeing him tomorrow. He's fine in tomorrow. so I have a nice show Yeah, I wouldn't here. rub that in. It's probably not good to yeah, rub that no.
2: in. No. <laughs> Do you mean the knife industry is not a bunch of upstanding individuals and companies that have been like, hey, man, I just want to let you know you probably should patent this because we're about to take it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You know, you talk about that, you know, uh, it is a good industry. You know, um, Flavio Icoma out of uh, Brazil invented the IKBS ball bearing system and never, you know, he's down in Brazil. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have a patent. He doesn't have to do anything in the US, but he, he invented putting bearings in to make the blade open easier. And um, I remember uh, talking to him. I was like, God dang, that's a cool system. And I, I call him up say, can we use it? And he says, yeah, just, just don't pay me anything just give me recognition that i invented that and i'm like cool yeah we can do that so ikbs is is you know most of the upstanding companies use you know give flavio credit for it and and uh, he deserves it
1: wow that is cool man that, that's a great industry yeah the, yeah. Hot, the hot rod industry has got some really good stuff like that going on but that's
2: that's cool. yeah that is good like especially like you said a, a large company that's you know, got your executives running stuff and all that to make sure that they've got that IK. Because like you said, at the end of the day, he couldn't do anything about it if you didn't. But it's just, it's showing that you that you care and a little bit of respect and pay homage to the guy that figured it out.
1: When, when he did something like that, is he sourcing an existing bearing from some sort of piece of machinery and says, oh. man, I could put this what? in the, a knife and make this thing just, like... Butter or is that like clean slate? I'm yeah. making a slim tiny little bearing and I'm gonna put it in a so,
0: so he's down in Brazil, he's got nothing. He's got some stainless balls. Okay. <laughs> and he's got he doesn't even have a mill, he has a drill press. And he literally by hand somehow mills the track and then puts one ball in there at a time. That's awesome. <laughs> and, Wow! It puts grease, puts grease in there and calls it and calls it good, and that's originally how we started making it. And, and what a pain in the ass, you know? And just and then you open the knife up to clean it, and, and bearings fall all over the place. And so uh, I say, Flavio, can we just use a cage bearing? You know, they're available here off the shelf in the U.S. <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, go ahead, Doug. That's fine. So now we use cage bearings, and it's a lot easier.
2: Uh, can you imagine that? The time especially for the just the first one like
1: you know i'm always so intrigued by that type of innovation yeah because it's one thing when you've got you know for i guess it like it puts things in perspective like i never feel like we have these phenomenal accomplishments because we've got so much talent and resources and then you because you look at things like that like some dude sitting there that like you know, he's he, it's running on coal, or he's cranking the damn drill. You know, right. it's a hand crank drill press. And well, especially
2: it, anything that's it, it's wild to think like that like, it has to be concentric or it has to be a circle. It'd be different of like doing art or doing something. Even how long it took, correct. Straight line or something that's asymmetrical or something like that that you had, but a perfect circle.
1: You know, that's yeah, yeah. I, I see where you're going with that. The, the, presi- the precision of it is yeah. really impressive, right? That's cool.
0: yeah, I, he's crazy. I don't know how he did it. He's, uh, he is super talented, smart, smart guy.
2: Uh, well pivoting a little bit. Tell us about the, tell us about the Jeep. You've had that thing since you were oh 12 God. years old, huh?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I bought this thing. Sight unseen from my uncle. He, you know, it's a 66 CJ five and I was born in 62. So I must've been, you know, he must've been driving me around it when I was like eight or something. Probably. in 1970 or something. I just remember this little cute red Jeep, top off, and we're going around. We're picking up hitchhikers and bringing them home to my mom, who was pissed off because they <laughs> smoke weed and do stuff. And and then uh, he called me up when I was 12 and said, "I'm going to sell the Jeep. Do you want it?" I said, "Hell oh, yeah!" Because I remember this little red thing, you know, beautiful little red CJ5. And and uh, so I went and mowed lawns and sent him $500. Sight unseen, and he had since then moved back to Indiana, and and uh you know, which I, I had no idea that there was salt in the roads back there, and and we finally go on a family vacation. Uh, this cracks me up. My dad, we had a uh, 300D Mercedes. <laughs> Remember those five-cylinder yeah, yeah. Mercedes diesels? And we go back there on family vacation. He puts a tow hitch on it. He he built the tow hitch, I think, and and we get there, and this the CJ 5s out in the middle of this field with grass coming up through the floorboards, and <laughs> it's green. It's uglier in hell, and I'm just going, "Holy shit!" You know, at that time, five hundred bucks, you, you could get a running jeep. Yeah, and uh, I was just one run timing chain had skipped a couple teeth, and so we towed that thing back with a three hundred D three hundred D Mercedes, and and all the way back to um, at that time California, and uh, I start tearing into it, and Dad and I'd lift the go to lift the body off and it just breaks in half. It's just, the rust is just totally gone. And so I go back to mowing lawns and everything and buy a buy a fiberglass body nice. from somebody down there. Maybe it was Brian Ch- Chua Chichua or something. I don't know, one, I don't know. I buy a fiberglass tub for it. And and uh, since then we move up to Oregon and I start piecing it together and piece by piece. And I still have it today. It's right there in the background. <laughs>
2: Did uh anybody ever say anything to your uncle about taking advantage of a twelve year old kid with that five hundred? I
0: hope I hope my dad did, but <laughs> I don't know. It, I don't know. I think my dad was like, That's a lesson boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it looks like from from our angle, does it not have a front end on it and is there a chassis a base frame sitting right in front of it? Yeah, it?
0: I got a new I got a new okay. frame for uh off Craigslist, I'm gonna yeah, box sure. it in and do a shackle reversal and all that because the one under it now has been welded so many times and sometimes on the trail and it's it's just gone the, the frame under that. I mean, it, I've done the Rubicon Trail and and we go to the sand dunes a lot and the torque and all the twisting it just it it cracks every time I go out and I just it's done. So God. I'm gonna build it, you know, just from in my spare time, just build a box it all in and reverse the shackles and transfer everything over to that and go for another 50 years maybe. I, cool. <laughs> I can't
2: think of anything that I've held on to from the age of tw- maybe smoking cigarette habit from age of 12 till now but there's not anything else from that, I, that I could think of that I would and you've held on to an entire vehicle I mean, through moves and stuff like that. Dude, I've got. Think of something right now that you could put your hands on that you knew you had at 12
1: years old. Dude, I'm a pack rat. I could name a thousand. I keep since 12 years old. Yeah, absolutely. I keep everything. I've got my Camaro. I've had since I'm 15, and I've still got that. So we're close.
2: All right, there you go. I'm 60 now. So there's probably some baseball cards and stuff like that from 12. But other than that, if it didn't go in that one box when I moved, when I moved out, like if it didn't go in that box, I don't have it.
1: So even a jeep. Like, I have a a CJ7. So, you know, cool Jeep story. And that's from probably 17, 16, 17, somewhere around that It was my buddy Fence. It lives in my mom's yard today, and it's been overtaken by the forest. So, you know, I've never brought this up. but That was one of the first, like, really kind of in-depth projects that I ever did. Like, by myself, I uh, swapped, made mounts, welded up mounts and everything for a 350. So... Put a small block in it and carbureted you know and it, and it was pretty cool we did it like a aluminum dash and drilled it all out and put autometer gauges in it and it was super right it, it was super badass yeah. he had it painted at mako and uh i remember we fought one of the neighbors as a result of it so we built this built the cj5 so it's got purple hornies you remember those mufflers back in yeah. the day purple hornies yeah. And it, it was so, so damn loud. And we're in this little neighborhood, and we keep pulling it out. We're, we were troubleshooting something, so we'd pull it out, and we were being fairly respectful. You would go out to the main street, and this new guy is in the neighborhood, this, like, Russian dude, right? So f- my buddy, Fen, he's driving. I'm in the passenger seat, and this guy tries to stop us. And I'm like, you yeah, know, we've lived here forever, right? I'm like, fuck this guy, right? Keep going. I don't want to listen to what this guy has to say. We're in the middle of tuning <laughs> this car. Well... The next time around the guy was not happy with me brushing him off so he jumps up on the running board and tries to take a swing at me like a windmill over the top of the my buddy fenn who's driving who happens to be like a very muscular dude you're right so he grabs this dude like as as the guy's swinging grabs him by the throat and pins <laughs> pins him up against the windshield and we're two 16 year old kids in this thing like beating up the neighbor, right? Which was his own fault. Yeah, he shouldn't have done it. But at any rate, that that thing still, he moved out of out of state, you know, it had some issues. It ended up in my mom's yard, and now it's overgrown by large mature trees. Tree recently fell on it, caved in the windshield. Earth and, is and just my taking it back. My mom's constantly on my ass about like, are you gonna do something you with can't this damn deep? No, it had to be helicoptered out. I think so, or you could cut the trees <laughs> down, but yeah, a helicopter would probably be easier on me. <laughs>
0: Oh man. It sounds like he got a project just waiting.
1: Yeah. You know, there's like a certain sentiment about it that still, so then I'm like, man, you know, his, his dad bought it for him and the, the project and his dad passed away. And there's still always part of me that's like, man, I should dig that out. And like, we should do something with it for him. But it is fucked, dude. <laughs> it's in such bad shape. you know. <laughs> but yeah, I cut my teeth on that back in the day.
2: Oh man, that's awesome that you've had that that long done that many iterations on it. Um, how many miles do you think you've put on it since you've had it?
0: Oh God, I've been through three motors. Um, um, All... Yeah, a uh, couple speedometers. I mean, I you know I always changed the, oh, yeah. different speedometers. All come. Jeep motors? Uh, you know, Jeep used that Buick 225 oddfire V6 is that the and, da- uh, Dauntless. They called it Dauntless. Yeah, and I've stuck with that. That thing off road is. There's nothing like it. It is just the low end on that thing just goes, and and uh, so yeah, I've done um, all all three of those two twenty five Dauntless, which some were Buick, some were Jeep, but uh, yeah, it's it's been great. They're cool, um, cool trucks. Yeah, I mean... yeah the the um the last time it was rebuilt though I uh, I had been bored too many times they couldn't bore it so they had to sleeve it. And the machine shop did that. And then I put it back together and started up, and it clank, 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 clank. And, and I'm like, what the hell's that? Then it'd warm up and go away. I'm well, drive it. But every morning it was clank, 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 clank. And it just kept getting worse and worse. So I'm like, oh, shit. I got to do something. So I pull the head off, and the sleeve is going up and down. It had <laughs> to get hot
2: to, to, to get it to seat.
0: To... <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, being broke at the time and not not knowing, you know, have enough money to have in the shop. I think went out of business that did it and no wonder and and uh I just had to do something. So I took that sleeve and I just marred it all up. I took JB weld and I just coated it and <laughs> just, just peen it over and took the body. a piece of wood <laughs> yeah. and just hammered that back in and I bet you it's got fifty thousand miles on it so it's and it doesn't yeah. clank at all.
1: That's hmm. fantastic. And you could send yeah. A microscopic piece of metal through like a power steering pump or something, or even a motor nowadays, and it murders it. Yeah, but you can have a sleeve come out of one of those and just hammer it back in with a block of wood, and you got fifty k left. Oh, i i
2: did a i did a two eighty nine uh, rebuild in a in a galaxy fifty nine galaxy way back in the day. It didn't have any money. Rebuilding the two eighty nine that was in it and stuff. The motor had already been replaced, but when I got the, and I remember like rings you know filing them myself and then you know sending a dingleberry down and like cleaning up the cylinder walls you know and putting it together and like hoping for the best thing ran drove great had power never made a noise never smoked never ran oil but like you're saying i mean you could do you know a ten thousand dollar set of billet heads for an ls you know and yep one little thing, you know, or even the heads be bad, you know, something be fucking stupid. Like the shade tree shit sometimes still can
1: Oh it, yeah. Really we, we had a motor here. We had a big block Chevy. A customer brought the car and he was just trying to get it like together to get rid of it that he had somebody putting it together and uh we go to fire this thing up and it's it's running for a little while and then it starts making some funky noise. And we keep driving it and driving it. It's still making some noise. Well apparently the guy that did it originally that was putting this thing together you could tell they were really long three-eighths bolts so they were probably they looked like the bolts that you would put through the engine stand oh uh-huh. into the say. all laid in the valley of it and then he put the intake and everything on it man where they mangled but the th- i mean it it was running like it yeah it, put, <laughs> yeah, it powered through them for a little bit <laughs> Oh, but The oh, the, the, the Jeeps are cool. It, I'm, I'm always interested because we're in the chassis business and we do a tremendous amount of uh, four wheel drive chassis. And we do some of the, like the Jeep Wagoneers. Uh, we've done a Gladiator, but the, any of the CJs still to this day, we've never had a single request for a chassis form. And I really like them. And I'm curious if, if you can shed any light, if you have any idea what, like what it is with that crowd That enthusiast
2: that, markets different than like you said like a c10 market or a Bronco market or a F you know it's a different I mean like you didn't even think about buying an aftermarket chassis you went and got a chassis off of Craigslist and you're boxing it yourself is that most of the Jeep guys
0: I think so I think that's the difference yeah or the Bronco guys are gonna go buy a new chassis I should just buy a new chassis <laughs> I'm going to spend hours on this, and who knows if it's going to go down the road straight. But, you know, it, it, to me, it's a hobby. It's fun. So you're going to you know.
1: box that whole frame yourself. Is it a C-channel? All the rails are just C-channels?
0: Yeah. yeah. So
1: walk me through the process. You're doing this in your garage. How are you going to tackle something like that?
0: So I'm going to go buy steel and then i'm going to hold it up there and i'm going to trace it and then i'm going to take my cutting torch and cut it to get Ooh. it close and then i'm going to start tack welding and grinding
1: <laughs> man i just i, I want to see a video of that so we can show all the guys here because here we make a lot of frame rail you know we build them out of four pieces of laser cut metal and if you, if somebody had to do that here Oh man, would they have a fit like, if it's not yeah. laser cut and if perfectly fit, I mean and granted we do this professionally, so it should be, but right. I couldn't imagine taking a cutting torch to get you're talking like ten feet Oh you did you did box I'd, and
2: place I did. on right. No, well I'm saying remember right. during COVID, yeah, you were doing your own project, yep. right? And you just boxed basically not even a full back half. Yeah. On, and you the think about
1: doing it. Yeah, yeah, full-length and I had at least a nibbler, right? Right. So that's that's a step right. up from a cutting torch, but I already I can't remember the last time I cut something with a torch
0: <laughs> Man, that's cool, though. but get, I guess so you get the, good at it <laughs> after a while I mean you get yeah
2: is um, the cool. the talking about the the difference in the jeep guys is most all I mean, we're generalizing here, but who better to ask than somebody that's been in it as long as you have Are most jeep guys long-termers like you and have been in it for so long and is most of their projects a constant work in progress so it's like you said it's a hobby so they're always doing something either changing something or adding to it where most of our customers on in four-wheel drive two-wheel drive or any of those kind of things it's kind of like a i'm gonna build this and they build it and then they go and enjoy it but they're not constantly doing upgrades or changing suspension or changing stuff like that it seems from this conversation and other conversations that we've had that Jeep guys are kind of tinkers mm-hmm. like they want to con- they don't want the Jeep to be finalized and finished and sure. buy all the parts in it be a perfect rock crawler even if it was they would probably either break it or find something that they want to make better and make different I'm overgeneralizing and, and assuming. No, that's
0: but. that's exactly it. All my all my Jeep friends have had the same Jeeps forever, and they just keep screwing with them, you know. And it's just it's just what we, you know. I I don't know why, but I would like to, you know, after owning this for I think the math is 48 years, I'd like to say I'm done with it. But I got a lot of stuff I still want to do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's nuts. It's interesting. You know, and I'll probably be buried in it, you know, I'll just dig a big hole and stick me in the Jeep and bury me in it, you know, but, uh, yeah, all my friends are that way too. They just, they, they've had the same Jeeps and they just keep, they don't, they never sell the Jeep. They have, they, they may buy some more, some new other Jeeps, but, um, they just keep screwing with them. Hmm. Wow.
1: Yeah. I think yeah. The, 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 moral of the story, the take out, take away from all this is Jeep guys way more badass than Bronco guys. Is that a fair assumption?
2: I, based on this conversation, I think that's the only assumption you can make. Yeah, uh, you're.
0: You know, you're some, of like be, be, yeah, some of us would like to be. Yeah, some of us would like to be Bronco guys. We just can't afford it. I mean, my <laughs> God, <laughs> I had one in high school, seventy three, and uh, dang it, I wish I hadn't sold it.
2: Uh, well, pivoting you know. a little bit back into the knife stuff, um, we've had you know guys from all walks of life, uh, all industries, and a couple of knife guys and stuff like this guests. And I've always wanted to get into it. and We've never been able to but I want to give the listeners some tips from you as far as guys that are getting that are new getting into knives, we, we get we get questions all the time from guys that are you know, Oh, I, re- I was really into whiskey. And I've been listening, but I didn't know anything about knives. And now I've been buying some knives or vice versa, guys are into knives and ham hey, learning whiskey. So we get we get questions all the time. We are the worst people to ask on any of that kind of stuff because generally we buy a knife because it looks cool and we buy whiskey because it might be expensive or we know that it is good. Um, we don't have a lot of like great advice of like, these are the things to look for. If somebody's going out there and they got a 100 bucks to spend, right, and they don't know what's cool, they want to buy something that's neat, that's going to last them for a little while, but they also want their friends at the golf club to... N- not make fun of them the guys that are in the knives not dude, to make the, fun of them.
1: the guys at the golf club aren't going to be making fun of them if they pull a knife out
2: right, that's that much. wasn't a
0: good in, okay well good. if it's another knife <laughs> guy if
2: it's another knife guy.
1: they're
0: going to be like whoa dude, <laughs> dude <badass."> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the guy at the poker tournament exactly head, right enough. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so give them give some guys some like yeah dinner.
0: yeah so i mean you know syracuse always been we've always been considered kind of the gateway drug i mean that's you know people start with us because we had you know super good values on on our knives and and i think i think the advice i'd give to anybody is find a maker that you like you know find a custom knife maker you know look at ken onion stuff look at kit carson look at jesper Voxney or you know lucas burnley here in oregon i mean find a find a maker that you kind of you can associate with and and like and and try his stuff from from CRKT or from whoever and then start moving up you know start with you know knife under 100 bucks with with um you know G10 and maybe some D2 or something like that and then and then as you get to know more and more of that maker and get to know more makers um, buy more of their stuff and then eventually you'll be one of those guys who buys a hundred thousand dollar michael walker custom <laughs> <laughs>
1: there's a lot of other things that have to happen in your life in between yeah. like but, eventually. For that to yeah, but eventually but yeah but yeah eventually. you never know
0: but the I, stories are so cool of these makers these guys are i mean it's just like uh, custom rod makers i mean they're they're so cool and so smart and you know they're just such a personality and get to know who they are and you know, I mean Lucas Burnley, he's he's done stuff for Toys or Tots, you know, where he earn, you know, goes out and, and um gets hundred and twenty thousand dollars that he donates to to Toys or Tots and wow. our our Forge more War, our 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 uh, you know, veterans that have have given their lives to to serve our country. I mean there's there's such good stories everywhere. And it's not just CRKT, it's it's you know, most of the knife brands now are using custom knife makers, and go and learn their story, and then, then go up and and as you, as you, go up and in materials and and design, you'll you'll just get more and more fascinated, and then you'll start to spread out between other makers, and and pretty soon you'll find you know what what your jive is.
1: Yeah, you know, I kind of work backwards. When when you lay out that kind of like progression of that scenario, yeah, I started buying like. The, Microtech, OTF knives, right? Because I, I just thought they were really, really cool. And you, you I kind of look at knives almost like it's like all right, you need, you need like a t-shirt. Sometimes you wear a collared shirt, you dress up nice. Sometimes you need yeah, a it's t-shirt. A, it's a, it's apparel. So you, 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 move them around. And honestly, I found it, it's probably been a couple of years, and we we came across CRKT, and I got the CEO knife, and it's a, it's a compared to, I mean, it's a fraction of the cost of a Microtech knife i prefer it it is a super cool knife yep i got Got one here got one in my pocket yeah right now the action is awesome you know i generally through the day i almost use a knife like a fidget tool because you're sitting there you're thinking and you're flipping it and uh it's just a great knife i mean it fits great you know these guys make fun of me if you're gonna wear like some slimmer fitting (laughs) pants or something like that man that that sucker fits right in there but uh connects kinda...
0: and, and that that's Richard Rogers right there I mean he's he's a rancher in in New Mexico and and when he's got a few minutes he goes in his shop he's got a CNC and he, he's actually has an accounting degree <laughs> and he designs these things but he somehow he has the geometry down to where this thing just flips so easy it's just incredible you know it's just so fast and he's he's dialed that and that's his story you know and he's yeah, you should see. Move to his other stuff. Go look at his other stuff. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, I'll have to check out more of his stuff because I am absolutely like infatuated with the mechanism on this knife. I've got some other like custom knives, some stuff that's significantly more expensive that you really got to kind of lean into on the flipper side to get him to you know engage. And that then one flip. checks all the boxes. And though. this is just a super cool size
2: wise, thing. and it's it's a unique book. enough to be a, a thing that you like to pull out. You know. Um, but it does fits in there Um, I'm rocking the LCK today I really like I really like it I love the action on that as well and it's a little bit bigger
0: that's a Matthew Lurch he's he's out of um, Wisconsin he used to be a tool maker for Harley really and and on the side he made knives and then he finally retired from Harley and making knives full-time now And his knives go for $20,000 you know the the custom versions, but you can have that one LCK for I don't
2: know 50 60 bucks. out there so we can get the uh, since we have an actual knife cam, we got to use the knife cam.
1: Oh, nice! I like that. I can't think of many other industries like this where you're taking these guys that are at the absolute top of their game, and you're able to use their designs, use their influence, and then bring something to the masses at a at a pretty reasonable price point. I mean, what yeah. else is there? You know, you can't buy, you certainly can't buy tools that way, you know?
2: No. You can't buy a snap-on designed tool by somebody right. There's else.
1: There's lawsuits. There's major law- right. lawsuits with that stuff.
2: No, it it, it's, it is amazing, um, specifically how the industry has changed and how many companies are doing that model by getting, you know, and following in, L- in CRKT's footsteps, Um, But then also, and maybe that's why it is. Maybe that's why there's people. I mean, I'm not joking. I run into people all the time. Couples, we go out to dinner or something like that, and and wives are like, "Oh, you know, he got me a bench made, or he got me a this, or he got." And and they're wanting to carry pocket knives. I mean, they might not be carrying them in their pocket, but there's something they like. We've had you know female guests on before. I mean, Courtney Henson. We started looking at knives, and she's like, "I'm leaving here with a knife. I got to have a knife." And it's it's so. I don't know. It's such a thing across all walks of life. Where yep. there was a time I remember not too long ago, in when I was 19 20 years old, if you were walking around with a pocket knife, you know, a a, yeah, there was something. People looked at you a certain way sometimes, depending on where you went. You know, it, you would get asked like, you know, what do you need that? Maybe it's because I was it was a yeah. Bowie knife on the side of my head. I think it was
1: the, the way the rest of you looked too. You know, uh, could of, be. Right. It could it be. It could be the whole package, dude. It <laughs> could be, uh, but yeah, this the both of these are really oh, they're great, great knives. knives. I've been raving about the CEO for forever. I mean, it's not just you know, it's funny. you listen to this podcast and you probably think we got the CRKT dude on, and so yeah, obviously we got to talk about this knife. But we you, talked about him last season. You can go back into countless podcasts that I've carried that knife, and man, I rave about it. I just love it. And what is this is thirty nine forty nine dollars.
0: Yeah, yeah, 49 bucks. Exactly. So. Yeah. Have you guys, did uh, Kyle send you one of these provokes?
2: That, that we did. Yeah, we've see. been playing around. Jeremy's cut himself a couple of times.
0: Yeah. So, so, so this yeah, is this cool. This is just an example. You know, this is Joe Caswell out of uh, Thousand Oaks, California. I mean, he's he just thinks at a different level. And, and, you know, so you have a knife here, and you got a little knuckle there. If you wanted to knock somebody, non-lethal, things get bad. You just come down with your thumb. I mean, it's just, who thinks of that stuff? Yeah.
1: It's it's you know? interesting.
0: It, and then to unlock it, you just do, the, do well, the lever. The
1: thought process as far as like the usage of this knife, though. The fighting knife. That's it's a self yeah, defense is, it, knife. It's clearly. self
0: defense, yeah. totally self defense. Yeah, it And takes, he, We we sell a ton to law enforcement. You know, they, they put on their vest. It doesn't look like a knife. It's non offensive, and they can use it to, to defend themselves. It
1: takes a little you getting know. used to, but once you kind of figure out the action,
0: the ergonomics are great. It's once pretty you cool. It out, I
1: mean, it, it still just, I I've played with it quite a bit, and I still struggle a little bit to collapse it. But once you kind of get like used to it, the action's fun.
0: Yeah. Did you notice the clip? You know the clip is zero pro- profile so you just press down here on, oh, that on this area nice. here that
1: and I it just not. you
0: know because most clips are sticking out they drive you nuts you know and sure this is zero oh. i mean it's just laying flat there
1: so it's laying flat super,
0: got it that's super cool. cool
1: yeah this is a neat piece i mean very innovative yeah i was like that when i was a kid i traded like a bunch of baseball cards to uh my cousin and he gave me this It was called a paratrooper knife, I believe, and it had a very, you pull the handle out, and then the blade comes out the center, oh, so as, yeah. you're, as you're pulling it out, uh, and then you push the blade up out of the center, and then you bring the handle back together, and he probably got it at a flea market, or so I probably traded him like a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card or right. something for it, <laughs> I think he came out on top, but I've still got it, and it's pretty cool, but I, I'm always intrigued by the, like, different actions, you know, the way, the way you can fold these up.
2: I like that we have got this uh, Graham design. This little, uh, oh, the razor, blade. Yeah, the razor. I yeah. like I like this a lot, like yeah. a lot, a lot. But I, I can't get down with with the Kydex sheath. There's the sheath is a little big.
0: So so John designed that to to be a fixed blade pocket carry. So that that's okay. supposed to fit down in your front pocket, and the clip goes on the outside, uh-huh. and and you can just use the fixed blade like a. You, you just store it right there as a, a front carry
2: I'll have to give that a try then that
0: way yeah give that a try John John was a mechanic he uh, unfortunately passed away but he's he was a mechanic for years worked for snap on too, and yeah <laughs> super guy but you know that that blade design is for for working on cars and stuff is incredible you know the worst worst
2: suckers for choppers cleavers oh, I love anything that's got some weight yeah. to the blade and
0: but with that perfectly
1: like square Front blade what would be I mean, it's almost like a gasket scraper, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly That's what John designed it for.
1: It's great It's Some, you, you need to put it in your pocket because when this showed up if you do front pocket carry it, it's Surprisingly slim and you don't really know. It's there. really yeah I'll have to give that a shot because you look at it it looks you know, it's a plastic sheet That looks kind of bulk, but it slides right in there. It's it's a cool knife. I'll have to give it I have to give it a shot So what's uh, what's
2: n- new on the horizon? for CRKT.
0: Oh, man. So we're, we're doing a lot of, uh, like I said earlier, we, you know, CRKT was always known kind of as the, the value brand, you know, and, and we'd get those people that come in first in the knife industry and get interested in knives and they'd start looking at, uh, you know, Kit Carson designs or Ken onion designs and they'd want to move up into uh, better materials. And we, we didn't really, we kind of stopped. We kind of, we went this far and They didn't have anywhere to go, so they'd go to the custom or they'd go to other brands with higher-end materials. Well, now we're expanding into that so we can uh, take that person all the way from a beginner all the way to a collector, you know, where they can get Damascus blades and titanium handles and all that. So we got a ton of uh, just high-end, super, ultra-premium products coming out. You guys may have seen the Ken Onion Facet with the lasering on it and yep. all those shit
2: got one of those right here i think uh i think that's really cool to bring yeah. i like this knife
0: titanium handle it's light it's you know strong and you know the texture on it with the lasering is just super cool ken did a couple of designs actually his son did the uh, texture on it you know one being the this he kind of calls a viral design. It kind yep. of looks a little zombie-ish. Got the brain etched onto the pivot,
2: yeah,
0: brain pattern, you know, on there. And then the other one was a um, kind of a World War II aircraft type pattern on there with rivets and propeller on the pivot. Super, super cool. That's
1: really cool. Yeah, I wonder what it is about a knife what's the draw what's the attraction like i see a, a knife and i have to have it like i, I want to play with it i want to touch it i, I want to put like, in my pocket You like
2: gear you like things a is lot of people do you like the way it, it's it's a it's a machine it's a it's an item it's put together you like the fit finish the thing all, all that stuff
1: it it's almost like we had uh sean from autotopia on here uh, just recently and he was talking about how he He's got a lot of interesting people that he deals with. And he said, what, what was it? Was it the brake horsepower guys or the, the certain guys that he knows right away? Pound feet. Pound feet of torque. Right. And he's like, as soon as, as soon as somebody says pound feet of torque versus foot You judge them he, instantly. And I think I'm the same. If somebody's like, oh, I don't carry a knife. Or like, what, right. what would I do with the knife? It's instant judgment.
2: Yeah. If somebody says it makes 700 <laughs> foot pounds, that's one way of saying it. Just or judgment. if you say it makes 350 feet pound of torque, you know.
1: Right.
0: They're like, oh, no, I don't carry a knife. Yeah, I mean, would never. But right. it's amazing how many people don't. I mean, it, you know, it just it drives me crazy. You know, I just got back from a trip and outdoor, and there's 30, 30 year olds or 10, 30 year olds there, and, you know, three of them had knives. And I go, you guys are outdoors every day. How come you don't carry a knife? You know, right. it just it doesn't make sense to me at all. You know, I've carried one even before I got the, the knife business. And um, yeah, I just don't get it.
1: It is an absolute necessity like to be a man, I feel like. And just throughout your day, the things that you do, All I don't think the there's time. a day that goes by that I don't reach for a knife for something. 100%. And it's problematic when you're traveling. You ever notice... You feel like you ain't got nothing on? It is like... It, you're missing a piece of clothing And yeah. you reach down and you don't feel it there. You got to get on an airplane, you get off the airplane and all of a sudden it's just like, I'm almost nervous. Like not that I need it for self-defense. It's, no, it's just like, so, I feel like you forgot something. Yeah. You're so used to having it there. You just, you feel naked without it.
2: Well, I think yeah. you're, I think it's time you're working with a bunch of cool designers and a bunch of stuff. We're going to have to, we're going to talk later about an oil and whiskey edition or something. Yeah, what, for
0: sure. Love what yeah. you guys are doing. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. We'd be, we'd be happy to do it and honored to do it. It'd be super cool collaboration.
2: Yeah, I think it'd be fun. You know,
0: I mean, it'd be really fun. Yeah.
2: We got, we come to the time of the podcast where we ask some of the standard questions. Well, one of the standard questions we've kind of already gone over. One of the standard questions that we ask every guest is your first car and a story about that car. Well, we've already talked <laughs> about your first car and a story about that car. Well,
0: so, that, that actually wasn't my first. My first was before home some, Dad brought home some Fiat when I was like eight or something with a froze oh. up engine and, and said, hey, if you can fix it, you can have it. And uh, I, I took the heads off and pounded the pistons off and out and it was totally gone. I remember and uh, I I just put the battery in it and I just turned the key and we had a circle driveway. I just turn, put it in first gear and turned the key. <laughs> run,
2: the, let the run the starter. Run starter push it around. I had the first EV. Damn. You were doing this at eight years old?
0: Yeah, I was at 10, somewhere in there. Yeah, super young, and and yeah, That's I was cool. I was totally totally a motorhead. Great starter
1: gear and flex plate on that thing. Yeah, just yeah. keep on running.
0: <laughs> yeah, then I I just put the battery on the charger and do it again the next day. And
1: <laughs> was that just like total accident that you realized that that would do that? Yeah, foot off the clutch, yeah. turn the wheel, man. hit the thing thing is moving. Thing it-
0: yeah, once I got the the pistons out, you know, and it was unfrozen, I hit the key and <laughs> it, it jumped on me. I was like, "Oh, cool. I could go somewhere with this." <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that was that was the first car, I don't even know what what it was. it was. Some kind of foreign Fiat thing or something. I don't even remember, but Probably yeah, Topolino. The Jeep. Probably a Topolino. <laughs> For sure a Topolino. And the, right then the Jeep, yeah, the Jeep and which I still have, yeah. Uh
2: your favorite car movie and why
0: oh my god you guys are gonna laugh your ass off on this but the the, i used to the love bug (laughs) i mean how could you not love Herbie? Herbie?
1: that's the first (laughs) one that's the first one
0: Uh, man i mean i haven't heard it's not very macho or whatever but that's really what got me i mean i love i probably watched that movie 20 times and i was just like man i want i want herbie
1: yeah (laughs) my
2: sister used to watch that i remember I used to, we're a big disney household yeah
1: so. i used to watch that my best friend lived next door we used to watch that i haven't heard that yeah. i haven't heard that name herbie the love
0: yes yeah. herbie could win all the races and yeah that was yeah my favorite movie
1: dude you gotta look up uh buck uh, i think it's buckshot they do long travel sand cars they did a like a baja bug type thing in the herbie livery but it's oh. like you know uh, Whipple charged LS, thousand plus really? horsepower, long travel, and it's like cutting wheelies down. They put it on the street and it's just ripping. That's cool. Wheelies, but it's cool. It's uh, wide what's that good. called? Uh, buck, buckshot Racing.
0: Buckshot. Yeah. Okay. I got to look that up because, man.
1: That's cool.
2: Yeah. Uh, best piece of advice you've ever received?
0: Uh, Pete Kershaw, I would say. Um, Doug, it's not always as good or as bad as it seems. <laughs> yeah, he's right. It's good. Yeah, yeah, I mean yeah.
1: that—that pretty—that's that, applicable to get like, any situation. Yeah, keep right. grounded. Yeah, I like yeah. it.
2: Uh, well, of course we're gonna have to go to what's in your pocket. You got to do a pocket dump.
0: What are you carrying? Oh, I got the Ken Onion. I got the Ken Onion titanium. I just, you know, nice. Love the guy. He's awesome. um love the knife it's thin. it's got m390 it, it cuts it's light it's it's to me it's the perfect knife
2: what's your most coveted knife that you own
0: um i would say it's it's um uh, a custom knife from stan fujisaka and when i went over there to meet ken onion in hawaii um, ken took me to his mentor stan fujisaka and introduced me and and we met and Stan you know I'd only met Stan once and and he gave me this custom knife and and uh, later he he passed away and I just like I love this knife it's just the mirror finish on the blade it's just it's like a mirror it's unbelievable and he was such a nice guy I mean first time I meet him he gives me a custom knife worth I don't know how much wow that's and, pretty cool I mean it just yeah I love that knife
2: if you were doing anything else besides what you're doing right now, what would you be doing?
0: Ooh, i uh, man, I'd, I'd love to be building cars. You know, I'd love to be. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to be building hot rods. You know, and with your like,
1: I guess patience to. Flame cut those boxing plates and weld them on. You'd build a badass. Hot rod. You'd build a badass hot rod and just yeah. know that you've always. You haven't seen my welding. You always have a. You always have a job opportunity here, right? So, yeah. You haven't, when you haven't seen my welding.
0: Up, right? Yeah, you haven't seen my welding. That's you know. That's I define. Right. Yeah. Just, uh, I'd be more. I grind a lot. Let me just say right. that I grind more, a lot.
1: More interested in seeing the grinding, the finished product's all that matters
0: what uh, if
2: you could build if well if you could buy or build any muscle car right now what would it be
0: you know I've and it's on my list to do and I am gonna do it after when I retire from this knife business I'm gonna build and I know it's kind of cheesy but I'm gonna build a Cobra even if it's a kit car I freaking love the Shelby Cobra I mean it's just that to me is just the the ultimate there and
2: let us know when you're ready maybe we can put them together with Super performance guys
0: yeah yeah, yeah we i mean a, the kits are cool and and you know i want to find somebody that started and couldn't finish it and i'll just take it over i'm sure you know, there's plenty no,
1: of those out there yeah but, yeah we yeah. had we had lance from superformance on here and that man they they are cool they really are you know you can't knock them no. but it'll always forever be a badass car
0: yeah yeah it's uh i went to that shelby museum down there in Vegas, and, oh, my God, I was just drooling. (laughs) It was just so cool.
2: Yeah, there's something, like, iconic, I mean, obviously iconic or whatever, but there's something that's just so so light, so small, so much horsepower. Like, it just...
1: It was one of my first die-cast cars, too. I had the blue one with the white stripes, and my mom mom broke the fucking bumper on the front of it. Man, was I pissed. (laughs) Like, I'm not... I hold a grudge to this day. I still it have the car because, like, like I told you, I hang on to everything. Right. It's still wrapped up, and hey, a, you are a pack rat. Yeah, yeah. But my kids got all that stuff now.
2: That's cool. Yeah,
0: cool.
1: Doug, it's been great. Been awesome.
0: Yes, thank you. It's been awesome.
2: We have to uh, talk again. We got to talk about that oil and whiskey edition one. And if you're yeah, ever let's... in the Chicago area, man, would love to show you around the shop. Show you all the stuff okay. we got going on. I don't know if you'd yeah, love to get out this way.
0: Love but. to get there. Yeah, I do. I get I get out to Snap On and actually oh. my kids out moving oh, to Wisconsin here next week. So yeah. yeah. Well
1: Snap On's right in Crystal Lake. They're like fifteen minutes from us. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Honestly, I'm not just saying that. You, you okay. give us a shout. We'd I'll take you up on it. Do it. I'll Absolutely take, do it.
1: I'll, I'll do it. Okay.
0: Had a blast. Appreciate it, Doug. Take care. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. Cheers.
2: To learn more about C R K T you can visit www.crkt.com you can keep up to date with crkt by following them on instagram at crkt
1: underscore knives we got a whiskey review yeah yeah we got a review. but you yeah get, jump on the website and buy buy yourself something i mean i'll i'll say i think people should know by now that we're never going to endorse something that sucks 100 right on this podcast so we typically Seek out people that we like their stuff, right? Yes. So long before, like, it's not that we, the, the CRK dudes hit us up and we're like, oh, fuck yeah, man. They're like, you got to buy these knives. We've been messing with these knives. They're super badass. Mm-hmm. Love the knives. And then it's like, hey, dude, reach out to the CRK yeah. T dudes. You got to find people
2: them. that have been listening understand that. Yeah. Understand that we we don't shove things down their throat for any stupid reason. It's stuff that we like it's stuff that we are into it's stuff that we believe in um yeah I, for the money and the quality i mean <clears throat> absolutely pick up one of these yep i'm gonna say go for the lck by this by the CEO. jerry's gonna go ceo um, by the
1: ceo but this thing all right this is cool Razor, yeah it's very cool but i don't know what you do with it right i it it does fit nicely in your pocket but me i probably wouldn't carry it somebody else may but this thing this little this little sucker's cool
2: yeah that's the uh mini ceo
1: the mini ceo and uh it's got some little billet scales on it but this it's got the same action that's a great knife man all right we're gonna super do super
2: cool we're gonna see there's, there's gonna be a picture here on, here here These are, on, put well these are the three you're that's not the... gonna put the razor
1: in i mean it's cool okay yeah. if you don't want to put it in no there, it's, it's it in very there. cool because to be honest with you, for the guy in the shop environment, I know, I know. if you, if you like the way it sits in your pocket, that's a great, a great knife for a body guy, fabricator, mechanic, because that's a useful tool. If want, they, if they would laser a little Snap On logo on that and make sure they get it on the Snap On truck, so that you can forever,
2: forever and ever and ever. Yeah, we're turn, gonna. Turn this it is not warranty. the greatest of pictures here, but these four knives, and then I want. Hopefully, Elia can put this together. Somebody can put together some screenshots and links of these. But we've got the mini-CEO. We've got the CEO, Flipper. We've got the Razel. And we've got the LCK. We're going to put a post up and, and see what the fans have to say. I think they're going to LCK. I think that's going to win. It's,
1: uh, like, visually, that's probably the best looking you know a forged carbon handle it's got a good looking blade Don't they? Make i that? like the way this one looks don't though. they make that in a Tonto blade too they do yeah so the tanto blade yeah i could get down with that mm-hmm. but yeah great blade great action great handle that's and it's good size it's i know the
2: size is really right. what's yeah
1: i still prefer the action on that ceo though i like the thinness of the
2: seat C- i know i know whiskey review whiskey review time what are we drinking?
1: This is a cool whiskey. So we've been uh, Jefferson fans for quite some time. Always loved, I don't think I've had anything bad from the Jefferson's lineup. And we've uh, we've had the uh, Jefferson's ocean aged at sea. I think I've had like almost every one of their voyages. Mm-hmm. And where were we? we? We're walking through liquor store and you you saw that Sitting there and
2: we did we, we were, were actually buying cigars at the ah, liquor store that's right and we came through and it just usually
1: that bottle is just gonna you're gonna walk All
2: right by we've got them so this is but you know
1: this is the one time i feel a little guilty because we're cheating on uh garfield's beverage warehouse and liquor and Yeah, them. i'm sorry i was swallowing. josh is over at the house and it's late at night long work day and we're like ah shit, dude we should have some cigars tonight tonight feels like a cigar kind of night Lindsay's cooking dinner. It's about ready. said, just let's run and get some scars. scars. So we run over there, snag some cigars at Benny's and, uh, Josh sees this sitting on the shelf, had no idea that, uh, Jefferson's had a weeded mash bill. So typically all of us, you know, we don't have Philip with us this evening, but I will speak on his behalf that he too likes the weeded bourbons. Uh, the Weller stuff weighted at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. So seeing that, knowing that we all love the Jefferson's Ocean and seeing that they've got something that's weeded, sounded like a home run. Yep, it was worth a shot. It's a home run, dude. It's an absolute home run. It. Uh, I thought we'd be let down, to be honest with you. I did too. I figured that was, you're going to set your you know, your hopes are way up. You get that, and you're going to be like, oh, not, not so good phenomenal bourbon and super sweet super drinkable got a little bit of a burn i don't know what's the proof on 90 it? 90 proof it's which
2: is surprising i don't think it's the i don't know if it's alcohol i think it's just a little bit oaky
1: not in a bad way little oaky yeah that's a hundred percent buy it i don't know if that's a rare well we i mean it was we found it on the I shelf it was just sitting there that was an organic purchase it in was. the
2: wild 100 in the wild not even planned it's good
1: Dude, it's been a minute since we've rated something, so I'm a little fuzzy on you know where we left off on the rating system. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go eight one. Holy shit. I'm putting it up there. Because I like it. And I'd buy it again. You really like it. Yeah. Um. It's not a cheap bottle either,
2: right? That's I think it was like it had to be sixty or seventy. Okay. Wasn't stupid. Um I'm going I'm going are you sure I'm going seven nine it's good it's, it's, good, really it's good. not great no Is it, it's I mean seven nine still pretty good. seven nine's a seven nine's good yeah seven nine's, seven, nine's, review, dude. Yeah,
1: seven, nine's high I, and it I'm gonna give a disclaimer right now like if there's something that's way better that's rated like right there or just below it then I apologize but I think that's a pretty accurate review it does
2: that is the beauty of these reviews. Right now, when you drank it, you liked it that much that you gave it an eight one.
1: I liked it that I gave it a seven nine. I'd That's say, it. out of anything that I know would be on the shelf, that'd be like no, right now. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Walk yeah. into a liquor store and you know what you know what's available, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna flock to that. Right.
2: We're taking our we're taking our really good ones that you can sometimes find off the table. Yes, right, we're going to take that IW. We're going to take some of that kind of stuff. It's just any liquor store, just about any time. If you can find this, you're going to go with this over all your other. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent it does. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you there. Yeah, I, I think I think seven nine and eight one is a is a good ass review.
1: That's a nice little cluster. Yeah. The only, you know, I'll say this, and I'm gonna. Just like the barrel bourbons, I wish they'd change the damn bottles. I know. You know? That's the yeah. thing. I Honestly, like, I, and I do like the barrel bourbons, but I don't buy them. Just because, it's like, did you change the color. That's their on, brand. On, dude, like, one line. Want, and, like, mix it up a little bit. Get they creative. Don't,
2: they don't want to do that.
1: I want you to do it, though.
2: I know. And I'm the consumer. I know. I mean, you look at this one. It's everything that it always was, and they just put weeded on there.
1: Yeah. How like many, there pe- how many be- people
2: would miss that? I, I almost did. It was just... And by happenstance.
1: Is the top always that nice little mahogany wood, or is that specific to that one? Uh, the Pritchard's uh, cask
2: is a is a red one, isn't it? Isn't the Pritchard cask a red? Don't I don't know. know. We're just talking
1: Anyway, now. yeah, change the shape of the bottle. For Christ's sake.
2: <sighs> thanks for listening to Oil & Whiskey, And ironclad original. If you like the show, be sure to leave a rating or review. But thanks again to our guest, Doug Flagg. Thanks again to CRKT. Check them out. Buy some knives. Absolutely. Tell us about him. them rate these knives that we've got here. We'll see you again next week.